we believe that when you receive the sacrament, you are getting Christ's body and blood. And there are two views on this. Cole mentions these. A receptionist or a consecrationist. A consecrationist would be a Lutheran who says, with the words of institution, the union happens. And you have Christ's body there on the altar and Christ's blood there in the, the chalice. And the receptionist view would say, it's with when you receive it into your mouth, with the eating and the drinking that you receive, that it is the body and the blood. You have raging debates among people like this. The more traditional right-wingers tend to be more consecrationists, and others might be, tend to be more receptionists. That's not always a clean line there either. And people like me would say, eh, I'm not sure. I don't know if it matters. But a couple of things that do matter here. One is that it's not like it's just bread until you, and, and, then it's, and, and then it turns into the body. You're getting bread and body as you receive it. Now, whether there's body there on the pathway is open for some debate. Because, and here's the reason it's important, it's very important that you take eat and you drink. Luther stressed this. You need to receive it. If you don't eat it and drink it, it's not a sacrament. And this is important because of the Catholic abuse. Because, see, the Catholics, again, believe it has become the body and blood. So the Catholics would have these kinds of practices, things like a Corpus Christi. And what's Corpus Christi mean? The body of Christ. Yes, Corpus Christi means body of Christ. And so Corpus Christi, they would have a what's called a Corpus Christi procession. The priest would say the words in institution, get a nice big host, and it becomes the body of Christ. No one would eat it. Instead, they would now take this host and stick it on the front of a special cross made for this, and they would parade it around the town. Why? Well, where Jesus is, his power is, Satan can't come near you. So if a flood is threatening, you do the Corpus Christi celebration, and you get rid of the flood, ward it off. Or a bad storm is coming, you lose electricity. Quick, host, and stay away, storm. <laughs> And you missed your chance. <laughs> you know? And so, you see, that's, that's the idea of the Corpus Christi. So Luther said, that's an abuse. We don't have this body of Christ parading around. And you're not worshiping Christ because, well, there he is on the front of that cross. You see, instead, you realize it's, you, it's for the sake of eating. It's not just magically performing, burning forgiveness. Go back to the sacrifice of the Mass. So he was, that's, why he, that's why he stressed the eating and the drinking. And that's probably where the Lutheran view of the receptionism came in. And so your pastor is probably pushing a hard receptionist position, which is fine, but be careful not to say that it turns into, because it is already. Yeah, that's the problem with that. It's a sacramental presence, and he is there for you. So if you did like a scientific test on what the contents of your stomach, you're not going to find blood. You will find wine. And the same thing goes see here. See, the Catholics with transubstantiation will admit that. If you run scientific tests on the consecrated bread and wine, it's still going to be bread and wine. But the substance has changed, so who cares? We would say that with the bread and wine, you are receiving the true body and blood of Christ in a sacramental way that goes beyond our understanding, but he's really there. He's there because he said so. And because of our Christology. Because where Christ is, he is always according to both natures, human and divine. He can't cut him apart and, like I said, park his body and go flying around without his body. He's present according to both natures. And here's where we park up with the reform. You see, the reform fundamentally have this big issue. Their issue is add it to your list, Tom. Finitum non capax infinity. What? Finitum non capax infinity, which is the finite 
is not capable, cannot handle the infinite. Finite is not capable of the infinite. Finitum non compax infinity. Which means you can't take divine things and shove them into little human things. So the bread can't possibly hold the presence of Christ. It's not capable of it. And see, this is an axiom for Calvinists. They believe this because it makes sense. How can a paltry little physical thing hold a non-physical spiritual thing? It makes no sense. So the Calvinist says, if it makes no sense, it must not be true. And this teaching of the Calvinists gets them into all kinds of trouble. Because, because they believe this, they deny the presence of Christ in the sacrament. Doesn't make sense. How can Christ's body be there in that little wafer? How can his body be multiplied millions of times over every single Sunday for 2,000 years? He must have a really big body. They would say things like that. I mean, just being really crass. Nasty, trying to mock the Lutherans. Because it makes no sense. Because finitum non compax infinity. The problem, of course, is this proves way too much. Because if you really believe the finite is not capable of the infinite, then how in the world do you believe in the incarnation? They all want to believe in that, but they really have trouble with it. And they need to start backpedaling on that. So what Calvinists teach is that Christ, according to his human body, is somewhere up in heaven. But according to his divine nature, is present with us in the sacrament. And we say, you just divided Christ. You're an historian. Can't do that. Remember Nestorius said, two boards glued together, human and divine, peel apart. Okay, human's over here, divine's over here. Can't do that. As soon as you peel them apart, no Christ. They always are together. That's Christ, by definition. And so where Christ is, he is present according to his body and his blood and his spiritual nature, all at once. Can't pull them apart. So that's where we come down. Can you understand it? No. Can I explain it? Nope. Do I know tangibly what's going on? Nope. But I know that when I receive the bread and wine, I'm getting Christ's true body and blood, and he's there for me, and all of his gifts, all of his forgiveness are mine. That's what I know. And that's the power of the sacrament. Because I taste it, I smell it, I feel it, I know it, I got it. No matter how weak or wavering my faith might be, I got it. Everything that they thought it does. about our own perception of what we are. Yeah, it does. It has it's a very wide ranging thing, but this is a key thing for understanding where they come down. So see for the for the reformed then, what do they get at the sacrament? Nothing. They get bread and wine and a nice reminder. Now, like I said, there are variations. Calvin and some really good reformed like I know some Presbyterians who come this close to saying physical presence, and they would like, like to, but they can't because they're Presbyterian. They haven't changed yet. But um, they, they will then. They know where the truth is. But because they come this close to recognizing what Christ says is so. But they just can't quite bring themselves to believe it. And they have, they have to do all kinds of messing around then. For example, Jesus at the words of institution says, this is my body. And they say, well, is doesn't mean is. Well, it does too. It does too. It means is. And so they've got to start backpedaling and explaining all kinds of stuff and get off in trouble. So these are the three fundamental positions. Rome's problem is sacrifice the mass. Reformed problem is it's just a symbol, and that's all. Now, are there symbolic aspects to it? Well, sure. I think about Christ's body and the bread and reminds me of that. But it's more than a symbol. But the problem with Reformed is that's all it is. And here's the real issue. 
and a Lutheran understanding of the sacrament, who's doing the work? God is. He's delivering the goods. And the Reformed understanding of the sacrament, who's doing the work? I am. It's useful to me if I make the connections, if it reminds me, if I put it to use, now it becomes something valuable. But if I go up there and I just slop down the wine and the bread, well, no big deal. It's just a symbol of it. And so it's all about my performance rather than God's gift. <clears throat> I'm sorry? Calvinism. Yeah, that's the problem. It's just a symbol. But that's completely opposite of what he said before. I want 100% God and 100% hell. Or, you know, heaven or, you know, that concept. Of well, the God does it all. Yeah. Yeah, true. But see, God also has to be reasonable, rational, which is why he believes in double predestination, which is why he believes in only a symbol of the sacrament. Because it makes sense. Calvin's biggest mistake was he was convinced the doctrine had to make sense. And Luther said, this is God's promise. I don't have to understand it. It doesn't have to make sense. I'm willing to put my understanding subject to God's rule. And see, it's, it's the whole question of what role does reason play? That's the real issue. What role does reason play? For Calvin, reason always had to at the top. It's God gave me reason, and he wouldn't tell me stupid things. For Luther, reason was always underneath because it was subject, it was impaired. Can't trust it. See, so this even plays into our how we read scripture. Higher criticism says human reason can figure the Bible out. And we would say, oh no, appropriate attitude, no, reason has its place, its role to play. I use my brain to read the words in the page. I use my brain to study the history. I use my reason to understand the archaeology. But ultimately, I put my reason subject to the words of God. So when the Bible says God created the world in six days, well, that's hard to understand. But I will put my reason subject to God's word and not say, obviously a myth, because it doesn't make sense. See, that's putting reason over the word. Instead, the reason is subject to the word. Reason has its role to play, but always subject, always underneath, secondary. Isn't that almost like a fight? Not that you don't want to put our religion on one sentence box, but that kind of summarizes where we stand on everything. Yeah. Well, the, fa the fact that we're willing, like to the Reformed, they want everything to be logical. Right. We're willing to say, no. Right. God's blessed us with logic, but we are underneath whatever his authority right. or his explanations are. Yeah, that's true. That's and true. the Roman Catholics do the same thing of trying to try to explain, explain more than they should. Yeah. And that is one of the things that you see with Luther all the time. He, he's willing to simply say, this is what God has told you. This is his promise. How can we do his promise? That's enough. And I, to go further would be speculating, and I can't do that. So I just come to the promise. Done. No. Oh, so, how do the Catholics and the Reform stand when, you know, <coughs> more not to take the sacrament lightly and to approach it with a contrite heart? <clears throat> now, what was the first part of that? Well, I mean, we're saying, you know, that you're supposed to, you know, take the sacrament. Yes. You know, and you can heap damnation on yourself. If you yes. Don't make it. So, where do Catholics and Reform stand? Oh, good question. I don't I'm not sure that's God's problem. Not mine. But, I mean, so. Is this a serious concern? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I think it's a serious thing. Um, See, Paul teaches us also that the sacrament, we should um, examine yourself before you take the sacrament. And you should recognize the body and blood of Christ. And he says, this is why some of you are suffering, because you are not discerning the body and blood of Christ. So what we would say is that if you're making a mockery of the sacrament, it's actually detrimental to you, not helpful. Which makes good sense, because you see, this is the gospel. This is Christ himself. And you're acting like it's not. So you're, in a sense, mocking Christ, ridiculing him. That's why it's hurtful. But... Is it still a valid sacrament? 
where, where Christ is present. I mean, if Christ is present, he's present. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah. In a sense, yeah, it's a serious issue. But like, Catholics in some sense aren't even giving the sacrament if they're not giving the wine with the bread. That's a good argument you can make. Communion among kind really doesn't constitute a sacrament. They're withholding it. Now, if I had my druthers, if today the Lutheran Church disappeared and I only had a choice between Reformed and Catholic, which one am I going to say? Absolutely. Because at least I'm getting, you know, the, the presence of Christ and an understanding of that. That's far better than just this empty symbol. No doubt. Or mercifully, I don't have to make that choice. Alright? So, that's another question. Chris? Um, he was talking about the recipient. Now, can anybody give? Um, the person who does the words of institution can actually be anybody. But, this is an issue not for the sacrament, but an issue for office of the ministry. We understand that ordinarily, to do things in decency and good order, that it is appropriate for the pastor of the congregation to be the one to do this, because he's been called for that task. And we're not just anybody gets up there to do it. So the pastor is the one who should do the words of institution and distribute the sacrament, and he should also be the one who gives the host, because he's the one who is admitting people to the, to the table, to the altar, to receive the sacrament. By giving them the host, he's saying, yeah, you belong here. This gets, in, this gets into the whole pastoral care church discipline kind of a thing. So if he sees someone receiving the sacrament who shouldn't be there, then he could pass over them. Theoretically, and the guy who's giving the wine would follow suit. And, you know, in the old days, the pastors always carried the wine because the lame, the elder was scared to do that or something. But, Ray, the pastor's the one who should have the host. And that's appropriate. Now, who can assist him with that? Well, anybody could if he needs help, I suppose, because he's the one who's actually overseeing this. Other questions start to come in here immediately, like, what can a woman do at? Well, that's a different issue altogether. Nothing, it has nothing to do with the sacrament, but it has a whole lot to do with the office of the ministry and with God's plan of creation. That's, but that's a different issue. It looks like it's the same thing. Like, well, it's not a valid sacrament. No, it has nothing to do with the sacrament. But it has a whole lot to do with our perception of the office and God's plans and design for the, how the church should function. The sacrament is the sacrament, regardless of who's doing it. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. But you won't, because you're not in communion with them and you're giving the impression that you are. But, anyway, back to your theory. <laughs> Would you be getting the sacrament? Right. I think that I would. Yes. No, it'd be a valid sacrament. If the words of institution are there and the bread and wine are there, yeah, you've got a sacrament going. But now, see, this gets complicated. Another whole issue is just entered in whether or not you belong at that rail. And I would argue, no, you don't. But I haven't made my case for that yet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're on the right track. That's right. Yes. There's some churches that, that um, they, they have the bread and the wine just sitting up there before the service, and you just go up there and, and take it, and they say it's been, uh, they've said a word of institution over it. Really? This is the Lutheran Church? No, no, no. Oh, okay. No, no. I was going to say, good. <laughs> yeah, that gets to the whole thing about it. It's just a symbol used the way you want to use it. You see, this, even our practice of the sacrament depends on our, our theology. In the Catholic Church, how's the sacrament treated? Big deal. All the smells and bells, the big pomp and circumstance, because you got a big mystery going on here. Got the sacrifice of the Mass. In the Lutheran Church, how we treat the sacrament? Very special. 
kneel liturgy to get it ready. We make a place in the service. We go up front. We kneel. You go to an Assemblies of God church where they have communion. How do they do it? At the end of the service, some guy up there says the words of institution. This represents Christ's body. Then they pass it up and down the pews. Anybody who wants can grab it. So they do. It just works its way up and down the pews. And anybody takes it as they want to. And one of the guys who's here on, on around campus now, grad student finishing up, was an Assemblies of God pastor. Came here to do grad work and ended up becoming a Lutheran. And <laughs> so, it, was, and it was inevitable. Um, see, what happened for him, and he, he will talk about it very freely. He said what, what put him over the top, finally just did him in, was when he was at a Assemblies of God church one Sunday here in St. Louis. And they were running a little tight on time, so they did communion that Sunday. And as the bread and wine were working its way around the pews, some guy was doing announcements. You know, just because it's not a big deal. And he said that just, just, he just realized how empty this whole thing was and what a mockery they're making. And so he's now in the church. Anybody who takes the time to actually study this stuff ends up being a loser. Just can't help it. Lately, that there's this huge controversy between what they call a closed communion. Oh, you just became aware of that. There are people who think that one side of the argument is if everybody publicly confesses the creed, their faith, then who are we to deny them the sacrament? There's other people who say no, they have to actually like, be verified communicants or something they got to like be card-carrying LCMS blueprints, right. even though we don't have cards, but we need to start making them. And I've heard Wisconsin... Or better yet, barcodes on the wrist. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right on the Sorry. What I've heard Wisconsin in it is, like, they, they actively deny people oh, the sacrament sure. if they have... Uh, we, we, will, we will talk about closed communion or closed communion here in a minute. Okay, we'll get there. Yeah. To go back to your comment earlier... Uh, yeah. In Alaska, uh, yeah. there's a lot of Lutheran churches that have preaching stations. You can't reach them yeah. on a routine basis. Right. What do you do? Well, there are situations where you could have somebody who the congregation designates to carry out the sacrament for them. And I would say that's acceptable. That would probably border on what we call an emergency situation. And so if you're in a, in a case where you just cannot get a pastor, say, you know, let's go, you're on a desert island and you're stranded there and there's a group of 12 of you, you have to choose one of you to be the pastor and then he carries out, he becomes pastor for you. And that's, that's appropriate. But the, I don't think you should take turns and your turn this week, not your turn that, I think would be the wrong thing. I think you should choose one person who would be designated to say, you're going to be the one who act on our behalf to this step. That would be okay. I say that because I was taught how to do that and with uh-huh. right. so right. you're doing it underneath his supervision in a sense. Yes. Right. There's that's acceptable. Not ideal, but acceptable. Alright? Yeah. Alright. One last thought here that Cole points out before I'm not done with community, but just one other thought is the fact that he uses again bread and wine. What's with that? Cheap, ordinary stuff? Well, again, he uses, cons- or it's very consistent with God's way. Common, ordinary things doing profoundly important things. That's how God operates all the time. Water, word, bread, wine. That's how God likes to operate. 